This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. It was a big day for yours truly yesterday, as Donald Trump's lies and bullshit finally met a dead end in the New York courtroom of Judge Arthur Ngoron, who ruled that Trump and his company be held liable for fraud for inflating his net worth in order to deceive banks and insurers resolving one of the key claims in the civil fraud lawsuit brought by the New York State Attorney General just days before a trial is set to start. Judge Ngoron, in a blistering and angry ruling, rejected outright Trump's request for a range of pretrial victories, calling his arguments rehashed and erroneous. Judge Ngoron's ruling on Monday is also complete rejection of Trump's bullshit arguments that he didn't inflate the values of his golf courses, his hotels, homes, Mar-a-Lago, and Seven Springs on his financial statements. And I quote, In defendant's world, rent-regulated apartments are worth the same as unregulated apartments. Restricted land is worth the same as unrestricted land. Restrictions can evaporate into thin air. A disclaimer by one party casting responsibility on another party exonerates the other party's lies, the judge wrote in the decision. Instead, the judge gave a major victory to Attorney General Letitia James, immediately revoking Trump's license to do business in the state of New York. Attorney General Tish James's office has submitted conclusive evidence that the former president and his co-defendants overvalued their assets by between $812 million and $2.2 billion from the years 2014 to 2021, and Goron wrote in a court filing. Even in the world of high finance, this court cannot endorse a proposition that finds a misstatement of at least $812 million to be immaterial. As part of his ruling, the judge canceled the business certificates of all of the defendants, which includes the Trump Corporation itself and numerous LLCs connected to the company as well as the business certificates of any entity controlled or beneficially owned by Trump, his adult sons, the Trump Organization's former chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, and company executive Jeffrey McConney. So sayonara, motherfuckers, because it's the death touch. And Ngoron ordered that within 10 days of the ruling, Trump and the other defendants must provide names of potential independent receivers for what? Well, to manage the dissolution of the canceled LLCs. The ruling, which comes ahead of a trial set for Monday, is a significant defeat for Trump, who built his business career and his political campaign by boasting about his personal and professional achievements, and now instead has been found to have been peddling bogus claims of financial success all these years. The lawsuit accuses Trump and the other defendants of creating more than 200 misleading evaluation of the company's finances, as well as other forms of misrepresentation. And it seeks a baseline of $250 million in damages 
and a lifetime bar on the Trumps from serving as officers or directors in any New York company. In a statement, James said, Today, a judge ruled in our favor and found that Donald Trump and the Trump Organization engaged in years of financial fraud. We look forward to presenting the rest of our case at trial. Judge Ngoron saved some of his harshest words for Trump's claim that no banks were victimized and that disclaimers in his official banking statements somehow render him fraud-proof. Such claims, and I quote, invoke the time loop in the film Groundhog Day, and Goron wrote in a scorching latest chapter of the state's lawsuit against Trump, his two adult sons, two of the senior managers, and the Trump organization. But at another point in the 35-page ruling, Judge Ngoron referenced defendants' inscrutable persistence in repeatedly claiming that the Attorney General, Letitia James, has no power to sue him. Infants legally declared incompetent and persons under certain legal disabilities are not allowed to sue, the judge wrote. The New York Attorney General is none of the above. Trump's legal team has argued that real estate appraisals are subjective and that Deutsche Bank in particular, far from being victimized, actually profited from the disputed loans. Arguments Trump himself has continued to make, including in a court-ordered deposition before Letitia James and her legal team. The defenses Donald Trump attempts to articulate in his sworn deposition are wholly without basis in law or fact, the judge wrote on Tuesday. The documents here clearly contain fraudulent valuations that defendants used in business. He added, defendants respond that the documents do not say what they say that there is no such thing as objective value and that essentially the court should not believe its own eyes. At that point in the decision, the judge inserted a footnote citing the Marx Brothers. As Chico Marx playing Ciccolini says to Margaret Dumont playing Miss Gloria Teasdale in Duck Soup, the footnote read, well, who are you gonna believe, me or your own eyes? And Goron singled out for scorn Trump's claim that he could have overvalued his properties in official banking statements if the property values ultimately rose. He also seems to imply that the numbers cannot be inflated because he could find a buyer from Saudi Arabia to pay any price he suggests. The judge scoffed at another claim from Trump's deposition. The decision focused on the five years of Trump's annual financial statements from 2012 through 2016, when he tripled the square footage of his three-story Trump Tower penthouse in Manhattan's Fifth Avenue. In opposition, defendants absurdly suggest that the calculation of square footage is a subjective process that could lead to differing results or opinions based on the method employed to conduct the calculation, the judge wrote, quoting from previous Trump court documents. Well, yes, perhaps, if the area is rounded or oddly shaped, it is possible measurements of square footage could come to slightly differing results, the judge countered. But 
a discrepancy of this order of magnitude by a real estate developer sizing up his own living space of decades can only be considered fraud. I'll tell you what this ruling means. Trump is going to go fucking bankrupt. It's over. His business will soon cease to function as an entity and will be liquidated. Just like Al Capone going down for his taxes, Trump, at the end of the day, will fall not by the sword, but because of the mountain of lies that he shoveled like so much shit. Liquidation means that the state will come in and seize Trump's assets and begin to sell them off one by one in hopes of recovering the money amounts owed to them as a result of this case. It will probably start with the sale of Trump's most precious real estate assets, including Trump Tower in New York, his Westchester golf course, and the many resorts around the United States that bear his name. Oh, and let's not forget about the prize of prizes, what he claims to be his home, but it's not. I'm talking about Mar-a-Lardo in Florida. Now this is the greatest news and almost worth the time I had to do for this man to see him being picked apart by the buzzards. More than going to prison, Trump fears not being rich. It is his single fixation. Why? Well, because Donald defines himself and his brand by the notion that he is rich and extremely successful. Now take that away and he is nothing. He's a fucking no one. A loser. He is the general of a Potamkin village filled with racists and lunatics. So there is talk of a Trump appeal, but the chance of that actually coming out in his favor, well, it's kind of like Dean Warmer said in Animal House, 0.0. So pop the fucking cork, my friends, because I don't even drink, but let's all have a sip of your bubbly. Let's just do it. I mean, why? Well, because Trump is toast. And just think, the criminal trials haven't even begun yet. That's what we're going to toast to. And now for the main event. Today we welcome to the show one of our favorite political people from the Lincoln Project, Tara Setmayer. Now, Tara's a former CNN political commentator, a contributor to ABC News, and a former GOP communications director on Capitol Hill. Setmayer has appeared on ABC's The View, ABC's Good Morning America, and HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher. She was named the Harvard Institute of Politics Spring 2020 Resident Fellow. And also in 2020, she joined the Lincoln Project as a senior advisor. Setmayer hosts the live show, The Breakdown, alongside co-founder Rick Wilson on the organization's streaming channel, LPTV. She's also a fierce critic of the ongoing MAGA agenda and what she views as the GOP's shameful inability to move beyond its toxic politics. She joins me today as we celebrate the ruling by Judge Egoron against Donald Trump. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Tara, let's start today by discussing what will no doubt, no doubt go down in history as a landmark ruling by Judge Ngoron yesterday that found Donald Trump committed fraud for years while building his real estate empire that basically catapulted him to fame and the White House, whereby, whereby Ngoron 
ordered some of the former president's companies removed from his control and dissolved, right? Claiming that he committed <laughs> fraud for years while, you know, building this empire and so on. So what in your mind will be the ramifications for Donald Trump beyond, of course, the obvious, which is the loss of money and prestige? How does this affect him politically is really the question I'd like you to answer. Yeah, good to be back with you, Michael. Um, so much has gone on. I've been I've been thinking about you a lot lately because of the instrumental role that you have played in a lot of these cases moving forward because you have provided such excellent insight and information to help this, to explain to people how Trump's criminal organization has been operating for decades. And it's nice to finally see some accountability. Um, you know, for those of us who have been following this, I just said it's about damn time. Like everyone has known and has been the worst kept secret that Donald Trump was not an honest businessman. It's well known in New York, well known among even D.C. circles, but no one gave a shit. They let him get away with it because the the facade that he built, to your point, of him being this successful billionaire businessman. And that is his whole shtick. That is what got him elected president. Him being beamed into the, the into the living rooms of millions of Americans over the years uh, on The Apprentice create, f- fueled that facade of him being the you're fired, tough businessman guy. Meanwhile, he's been lying <laughs> and, and misleading for decades, for decades. And so it's I but at this point now, I mean, many of us warned about this in 2016. I'm from New Jersey. I say this all the time. I, I was very familiar with Donald Trump's record in Atlantic City, his record as a as a real estate developer in New York, his reputation for screwing over small business contractors in in Atlantic City in particular. And I, you know, Kellyanne Conway, surprisingly, was one of the first people to go on CNN. We were on CNN together back in the day when she was working for Ted Cruz at the time before she sold her soul completely. And she pointed the same thing out because she's from South Jersey. She was like, Donald Trump doesn't, he isn't for the small guy. He isn't for small businesses. He screwed them all over and didn't pay people. And, you know, he's a terrible businessman. And all of us warned this, but it didn't matter. It shows the power of perception. It shows the power of marketing that people relate to the repeated images over and over again. And I think that a lot of that has been baked into the cake now with Republican primary voters to the point where it doesn't matter because Trump has spent the last seven years claiming he's a victim and undermining all of the institutions that would hold him accountable. He's undermined the media, enemy of the people. He's undermined the Justice Department. It's corrupt. He's undermined the judges. They're all after me. He's undermined every mechanism that our Democratic Republic has in place to hold people like him, professional scoff laws, accountable. So politically, I don't know that it, it makes a bit of difference for Republican primary voters, but I do think it will make a difference in the general election, uh, which, in my opinion, is still too close to call right now between him and Biden, which is just keeps me up at night. We should keep everybody up at night. But before we get into talking about the politics, wait, wait, you were thinking about me? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Michael, oh, oh, oh you're all, you about, know, all could... about this. You know, I think it's since, yes. you know, look, you just celebrated your 10th anniversary. So congrats on that. 
I'm actually this upcoming week celebrating my 29th anniversary. So I figured, you know God what? Bless. I've been I've been a good boy for 29 years. You've been a good girl for <laughs> 10 years. You know, they do have what do they call that? The seven year itch. I figured, you know, maybe you were thinking about me, but we'll put that we'll put no. that to the side. It, it's it's uh, it's okay. No. And even though you're listen, from New no Jersey, offense. even though you're from yeah. New Jersey, it doesn't make a difference. It's all right. Uh, listen, you know, no I like girl, I like my, girls my... from New Jersey. Hey, we're the best. Jersey girls are the best. But my husband is from Brooklyn. So and he's 6'2", 235 and a federal law enforcement officer. So believe me. All right. We'll um, leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <Right>? good. <laughs> By the way, you know, I was born in Brooklyn, right? I was born in the Brooklyn where, where Hospital. Yeah, I sure was. On DeKalb Avenue. Kings County? That's right. Kings County Hospital? That's, That's right. where no, my husband uh, was born. Uh, uh, mine was called the Brooklyn Hospital on oh, DeKalb okay. Avenue. Now, Kings County. Okay. My father was actually um, a chief of ENT. Over at Kings County, you know, for a oh, while. Wow. Yeah, early, early in his career when he first um, well, came to America. My, my husband's a triplet. And so that was very rare. Are they all the same size? Yes, pretty much. Uh, and he has an identical Tara, and a Tara, fraternal. So Tara, I have absolutely no interest in you whatsoever. All right. I just want to be very clear about that to to the to the to to, to, to the three front linemen, you know, of the football team. I have absolutely uh, no. You know, it's funny that you but it's funny that you start talking about Kellyanne Conway. As you may know, I was yeah. the one who actually brought Kellyanne into the campaign. I tried to bring her in early on. I know Kellyanne longer than I know Donald uh, because I've known both, her forever yes. since 90s. So, so we both sat on the board of a building uh, that yep. has uh, has the Trump moniker still attached to it um, on the east side here in New York City, where she was living, and I had an investment property there. So I was on the board of that building, and um, Kellyanne, we brought her on to be a board member as well. I always liked her. Um, I think she's incredibly smart. I think she is mm -hmm. great at messaging um, I tried to bring her on early on. Lewandowski had no interest in her whatsoever, of course not. which makes perfect sense. She'd overshadow right? him. Uh, yeah. By the way, anyone could overshadow him. Uh, then on True. top of that, uh, after Paul Manafort, uh, you know, I tried to get her in because Trump was desperately flailing, as he probably should, with women. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely not. They weren't interested. The same thing with Steve Bannon when he first came, and then. I turned around and I said to Donald, listen, you could say whatever you want. You can't win this election if you don't have the woman vote. You have no men on this campaign who can guide you for the messaging as it relates to women. You've known Kellyanne now for over a decade. How could you not push her? So he says to me, just go make a cheap deal and bring her on. <sighs> and as soon as, <laughs> and course. I did. And I did. And she was okay with it. The money is not what she was going for. No, and she didn't she, need it. She does not. Uh, between yeah. her and with George, they were doing yeah. just, just fine. Um, oh, I know. I've been in their house in Alpine. Yeah. So, <laughs> so to, make yes. a, to make a long story short, you know, she came on board and boom. Uh, a lot of the credit really should have gone uh, to her and to her messaging capabilities. Unfortunately, she as well has gotten sucked into that dumpster fire cult of Trumpism. And while I believe she doesn't believe half the shit that she says, I refuse to believe that she does. Uh, nevertheless, she's still a ardent supporter, even despite all of the stupid shit that his, you know, comes out of his mouth, including wanting to take credit 
for the Dobbs decision and overturning Roe v. Wade. I mean, yeah. I don't understand how any woman in their right mind could possibly think that Donald is good for humanity just based upon that decision or, alone. Or for women. Um, just a little aside about Kellyanne Conway and... Um, by the way, your instinct about bringing her on board was 100% correct. And I've often said that I put a lot of the blame on her for Trump weathering the Access Hollywood tape um, debacle, because that should have been it. That should have been the death knell that ended his entire campaign. And the fact that she did not come out against him and say, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I'm a mother. I have a daughter. I, you know, I, I stand for, for women because that was her whole brand was her in Republican women. She, you know, the polling company was all about women and politics. She was supposed to be a champion of women. And I have to say that, I mean, I was disappointed when she decided to take the job in the first place after how much time we had spent trying to coordinate uh, to take out Trump in the primary. I mean, we used to go get pedicures together in, in Colster, New Jersey, because I lived right down the street from her, uh, one town over from Alpine. And I've known Kellyanne since I was in college. She have nice feet. Um, <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I don't I'm not into it. That, that's, you know, some other weird fetishes. But anyway, um, and we would like she would exchange the oppo research books with me that the that the Ted Cruz uh, yeah. super packs had like we would spend I, I've spent Sunday afternoons at her house drinking wine. My, my husband and I, her, George, her mom, some friends where she would tell stories about how Trump would make fun of his supporters and how, you know, and George would tell the stories about how he would stiff lawyers and what his reputation. And it was just it was unbelievable. And then to watch her throw that all away and go for the power and then to watch her. And then I thought, OK, you know, I understand politics and this was her chance. OK, fine. But then when Access Hollywood happened and she still stood by him and made excuses for it, that gave a permission structure for all the rest of the Republican men to stick to come out and say, well, I guess we can accept it. If Kellyanne Conway, who's supposed to be our champion of women, she can explain it away, then I guess we can you know, too. To be and fair, that though, was the difference. Yeah, but to be fair to Kellyanne, she wasn't the real reason why he weathered the Access Hollywood uh, tape. It was a multitude, a multitude of people that were involved. I was in London at the time when it happened received the phone call from Hope Hicks. It's a well-known story. Uh, you know, yeah. see the phone call, but spent you can't hours tell, and hours. You can't hours. tell me, Michael, though, that if she hadn't, if she had had the the balls to stand up and say the way she claims as a tough Jersey girl uh -huh. and, and stood on principle and said, I'm sorry, but I can no longer in good conscience support a candidate who brags about grabbing women by their genitals. I'm a mom. I'm this or that, you know, mm -hmm. like, used the, the real reasons that she should have walked away from it. I think it would have been much more difficult for him to weather that. Yeah, I agree I just, with you. I do, it, I do. it didn't also help that Melania came up with the concept of it's just locker talk. Locker room. Right, locker yeah. room talk. And, you know, Hope Hicks uh, was also, yeah. you know, quite instrumental. You know, we dealt with every single major media outlet over the course of a 36-hour period, nonstop dealing, 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 oh, dealing. Oh, I remember. It was broken down. I was well. on, I mean, my I was on the phone the entire night, literally 
literally standing on the street while my family was eating, you know, inside of a restaurant with friends of ours from London. And it was uh, while we were in London. I mean, it ruined my entire 36 hours. It, it, it did. And um, London's a great city, by the way. We, yeah, I love London. Maybe <laughs> I love, I you know, love London. maybe things would have been different. And I should have I should have as well. Terrence said, you know what? I have a daughter. I have a wife. I have sisters. I have a mom. You know what? Somebody ever did something like that to them? You know, I, I would. That, that's when I belonged right. in jail, right? I'd be calling. Well, yeah. I'd be calling your your husband and his two twin and his, you know, and the other two twin brothers, <laughs> brothers. right? I mean, I'd be calling. I'd be oh, calling sure. the, you know, the gang of three over there, and we'd go pull an old fashioned Brooklyn ass beating on somebody, you know, pulling yeah. that sort of bullshit. You know, you that's that's just. Oh, it's just absolutely. wrong on every it was single wrong level. All the way. Oh, misogynistic. I agree 100%. It's it's oh yeah. It's uh, sexist. Oh, yeah. It's it's everything mm -hmm. in the world. You know. Oh but, yeah. But what's amazing is you know the the fact that Kellyanne you know came out. I'll tell you who didn't come out. And I bumped into her yesterday. I hadn't seen her in years and years. Barbara Rez, who used to work for the uh, Trump yeah. organization. Yeah. She was on MSNBC uh, with Ari Melbourne last night. I was on with Joy Reid right after. So I saw her. We got a nice chance to catch up. And she was talking mm -hmm. about, you know, the sort of sexist, misogynistic things that Trump uh, used to, you know, how he used to behave and so on. And, you know, there's an old expression, a thousand Frenchmen can't be wrong, right? If yeah. every single yeah. woman that comes into play of Donald Trump is saying, hey, look, he would run backstage at Miss USA in order to see if the girls were wearing their, their <laughs> bathing suits or Miss Universe or, you know, and that's, that was common, you know, bullshit talk. It's mm -hmm. not locker room talk. It's just right. gross, you know? Yeah, it's who and, he is. It's who he is. He's yeah. been a misogynist his whole life. He's been a superficial jerk off his whole life. And he's also had a very creepy relationship with his, his own daughter and the things that he has said about her. I can't even imagine anyone else getting away with sexualizing their daughter the way Donald Trump has and people just laughing it off like, oh, <laughs> I mean, it was just there were so many things. I mean, the Howard Stern interviews and all of that would have sunk anyone else. But Donald Trump has a unique ability that I think volumes will be written about a unique ability to weather those types of things because of a certain charisma that he has. And I just think that Women, there are like even if you look at Cassidy Hutchinson, you know, who's been in the news and who I applaud for her courageous uh, truth telling and stepping forward as such a young woman in that den of vipers. Um, you know, a lot of some people say, well, she's she was still complicit. She chose to work for him. She said she was proud to. The girl was in her early 20s. OK, I'm, I'm going to cut her a little bit of a break. Me too. She didn't exactly have all the world experience that a lot of other people who should have known better. And it's very easy to get caught up. I lived in Washington for 30 years and I understand politics and I've seen a lot of people get caught up and drunken and intoxicated with that power and the access to it. So I give her a pass on that. But I think that, you know, her storytelling about the sexual harassment and and the the misogyny that she endured from Trump on down. Look at is, Rudy. Um, another, right? No, I know. Disgust. I mean, this is just disgusting. And yet people, but she was, when Trump, when she did her interview with Rachel Maddow and she talked about in her book how she went and, and put blonde highlights in her hair after Trump said she would look better with blonde highlights, that goes to show you that he has this weird ability to influence women to like want to be accepted by him. I don't understand it. It's a certain toxic masculinity issue that we have in this country anyway in our culture which i think is a whole different discussion but it just is another example 
of how we always, you know, when you and I talk a lot and you always ask me, how the hell can women still support this freaking guy? <laughs> and I, you know, I don't have a direct answer other than there are certain cultural deficiencies with the relationships between men and women and certain dysfunctions that allow for Donald Trump to have that type of sway. I mean, women were into Hitler, too. I don't ever understand that. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it, there's a certain thing about demagogues um, and Trump is <clears throat> certainly certainly fits that category here. But, you know, what he, what he's going through now and the point about you know how we got on the Kellyanne uh, tangent, though, which I think is instructive because it just goes to show you that people are willing how far people are willing to go to still support this guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, she lost her family over it. Um, I hope it was worth it for her. And I, I'll never understand why. But the, you know, will this resonate now as Trump is exposed for the fraud and liar that he is? Uh, I don't think it makes a damn bit of difference in the Republican primary, unfortunately. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Republican primary candidates and people in the party are still unwilling to go after Trump on these issues. If I were one of the candidates on stage, I would nail Donald Trump for how he has treated small uh, you know, contractors and, and blue collar workers. I would have nailed him on his policies when he was in the administration, when he was president and how what policies were are you even talking about? Basically, to well, rip I mean, everything, rip everything apart. You know what? Yeah, for example, the EPA and, and the how EPA, things. Yeah. Right, like he's angry at the EPA because they had the ability to fine him. For example, when trees were taken down in his uh, Trump National, um, he calls it Washington D.C. It's not. It's actually in Virginia, but he no, calls it Trump National D.C. Yeah. Right, um, because you know he wanted an open view of the Potomac River which runs off the back of the property. And so they mm-hmm. pulled the trees down. The EPA could fine him tens of thousands of dollars per tree. And there were thousand trees that were taken down, blah, blah, blah. The point, the point is he was angry at them. And so yeah, what does so he, he do? So Fuck he it. Dismantle it. You know what? They're, yep. They, they're, yep. they impede upon business. They make it harder for Americans to do anything. I did want to ask you. Did you hear in some instances that's true, but like not the where where he, you know, what he targeted. And again, it was all about him. This had nothing to do with good policy or good environmental policy. He doesn't care about anyone or anything else but himself. And I don't understand why if Republicans that want to run against him and want to vanquish him, why they don't point that out consistently. I'll never understand. So that's a a, that's a great point. And. I was thinking about the same exact thing myself as I watched. I, I even tweeted out less. I, I can't watch this fucking shit show any oh, longer. I wrote, so I wrote, there were a bunch of ass clowns that are sitting there, you know, and I said, the, cac- the, the bullshit trying to get in there, prepared one-line zingers all night long. Horrible. You know, it, it was so it was unwatchable. So I went and I watched uh, The Morning Show because uh, episode four came out. I wasn't going to sit and waste an entire night watching these idiots try to overtalk each other with Ramaswamy mm-hmm. there smiling, like smiling Bob, the erectile dysfunction guy. I mean, the whole thing was bullshit. <laughs> I can't like, I'll tell stand you, that guy. I'll tell, you what I, I'll tell you what I would have done. I would have gotten up there and done the exact same thing that you would have done. I would have attacked Trump on every single thing that he did wrong. Let's start with the Access Hollywood. This is the guy who should be leading our party. This is a guy 
guy who's now asking his daughter if she wants to go to Beetlejuice? What kind of bullshit? And, you know, you, you get a little reaction from the crowd. I mean, you know, Donald saw Lauren Boebert, you know, pulling her, you know, her motorboat and her two-handed fist over there. So he's asking his daughter <laughs> to Beetlejuice. I mean, so I would disgusting. be throwing all this sort of shit out there yeah. like it didn't mean anything. And the reason I would do it is because none of these assholes have anything to lose. I mean, you're no, talking about Ramaswamy, anyway. 1%. You have the guy Bolson, Dolson, but I don't even know who the fuck he is. With less than 1% or 1%, you know, even Chris Christie at what, 5%. The only one that has any sort of number there is DeSantis. And there is something seriously wrong with him. I mean, you know, he's uh, all, well, he's all the against the, he's all against cross-dressing and all of the, um, the shows associated. That motherfucker had more makeup on than, you know, than the glam squad. I mean, I've <laughs> yeah, never no seen kidding. anything. <laughs> Could you imagine this guy sitting there? What an asshole. None of them oh, have a shot asshole. at any of it. No. So come out no. swinging. Make yourself look like you're half of half a human being. That you give a shit about America. They all look like they were that they were auditioning for a job. So Michael, I have been saying this since the debate started that this is the greatest reality show competition for second place. Yep. This isn't real. You're telling me this is the best that the Republicans can put up? Their RNC's not sending their best. Okay, because these people up here, they they looked it was embarrassing. I was embarrassed for them. And even Chris Christie, who is actually usually pretty good at this uh -huh, stuff. I like Chris. Even me, too. I mean, you know, I'm mad at him for what he did in 2016 and how complicit he became in okay. all of this. It's hard for me to get past that. But for the if we took that part out of it, um, I, you know, I think Chris Christie wouldn't be a bad president, ultimately, um, you know, in the greater scheme of things. But it's just hard for me to get past a lot of what he's done to get us here. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But he even he debased himself with the canned one liners. You know, he was doing really well on that litany of reasons yeah, why Donald, that was, Donald was afraid. Duck bullshit stupidity. Donald come Duck, on, dude, man. Like, come on. Come on. Like, Right, he's, exactly. He's, like, he's why so do much you better feel the than need that. To do that. He's so much better point. than that. Yeah, that's my point. He runs on the fact that he was a tough prosecutor. He was a tough, you know, governor of New Jersey and got things done in the in a in a blue state. And and then you want people to take you seriously, and then you come up with the Donald Duck line. Because why? Why? Because that's what the Republican Party has been reduced yeah. to because of Donald Trump's behavior. They all think they have to be entertainers now. Ramaswamy, I call him Ramaswamy because he is, he just gets under my skin because he's just such an arrogant, blowhard, know nothing jerk off. I just cannot stand him. He's a hypocrite. He is a con artist. And he's out. How dare he go out there and lecture people who have had way more experience than he has on everything other than whatever the hell his companies do? No one's telling him how to run his companies, but he's trying to tell people about foreign policy, cozying up to Putin saying uh, go against birthright citizenship being his own parents are could immigrants you imagine? his father his father's not even a u.s citizen i just want you to know yeah could you imagine so and then, to shut the fuck up right and then they ask they ask stupid ass mike pence and look i i had a chance i spent quite a bit of time with mike and karen you know over the course of uh, ugh. the uh, ugh is so strange so weird and he's yes. and then you get Mike Pence. Well, thank you very much for that question. Uh, it's, um, oh, it's the worst. Uh, uh, but before I answer that, I want to talk about and you sit there. It was such a shit show. 
Shame mm-hmm. on the three of these mo- And what the hell was with Varney? I mean, for a guy who is so articulate, he, it almost right. is like he had too much to drink before. I was going to say, he was knew, he drunk? Yeah, because he knew that it was going to be a shit show and he didn't know how to handle Maybe he had too many scotches or vodkas. I, you know, it was uh, the best. It was the best bad. of the three of them. The best of the three was the girl from Univision. Right. Yes. And you could barely. She was underst- unflappable. Yes, but you I could know. barely understand what she was saying. Yeah, she, her accent was heavy, and and as soon as yeah. I heard that, I thought, <laughs> oh yeah, these Fox uh, News viewers are could, are gonna love that. Especially, that's the whole point I was gonna make. The the Fox viewers don't watch Univision. Like I no. would have, I would have thought she would have been perfect if, in fact, this was being you know simulcasted in Spanish television on Univision. She's perfect. She's Which articulate. Is a smart She's play. Well- that's what they should have done. Play for the Republicans uh, yes, because but they the didn't... Latino vote is out there for them to take. Now you stole so. my line. Well, <laughs> since you stole my line, <laughs> let me ask you this question. Do you think that history will look back at this ruling by Judge Engoron and say this is the moment that Trump was cut down to size? Well, given what we know about his size, I don't know how much further down it can be cut. But Ooh, um... <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's an old mushroom pecker joke. I... Take it as you wish. Um, I I would hope so. You know, my hope is, I hope so. You know, it should. It absolutely should. But the problem is that there's such a fire hose of fuckery every single day that it gets lost. The, the news media moves on to the next thing and they move on to the next thing. And there's no consistency hammering on these points. And it's because there's just so much going on. And that is the Steve Bannon play of flood the zone with shit. And because people's attention spans are short right. and it's football season. So, you know, I mean, people are, well, yep. And and it's almost become par for the course with Trump, right? Oh, well, it's another case. Yeah, yeah, well, and so what? Now for him, I think that this is, this is, and you know this better than anyone, but this strikes to the heart of his entire identity. Yep. It's his, it's, it's, he hides behind his alleged wealth and the strength of his businesses. And for him to get the, basically the financial death penalty for what he's been doing, this fraud that he's been committing for years, I, I mean, it is, it should be, it, it should really diminish him, cut him down to size, sure. But like I said before, I think he has he's done such an incredibly efficient job over the years of convincing people that none of those other things are true. Only oh, you can only believe me. I'm the victim here. That's all a biased judge, a racist judge. It's the system. It's this. Everybody does it. What do they talk? I don't know that it will make it will move the needle at all for the primary voters. Again, general election. Yeah, maybe if. <laughs> The Democrats understand how to message yeah. that, yeah. And, which um, unfortunately, and, and it home. yeah, unfortunately, Jamie Harrison really needs um, some help from people like the Lincoln Project. You know, maybe That's myself why we because exist. yeah. So let me just say, I totally agree with you. This core group of Republicans that are indoctrinated into this cult—they're so deeply indoctrinated that even Dr. Hassan. Can't get them out, yes. no matter how hard you try. But I'll tell you what, yep. I'll tell you what I do truly believe. You may remember my famous says who, right, when I was yes. on CNN. <laughs> and um, the interesting thing that people laugh about, like, oh, my God, it was funny. It became a meme, right? And so it did. It did. I was right. 
Nobody ever gave me credit for being right. I understand these polls so much better than people than some than people know or can understand. I fully understand them. I understand the lies. I understand the writings on how they asked the question and so on. Mm -hmm. All of the polls that you're seeing right now, I say the exact same thing. They're full of shit. They don't mean anything. We know what we know. They, you could get a better poll out of going on your Twitter account because you have, like me, many hundreds of thousands of people. And I have a pretty good cross-section of the country and I know that because while I have my supporters, yes, we love you, Michael, I have others that want me to die and die a horrible right. death. I hope you fall yeah. into a wood chipper. You know, I hope you, you know, you're ice skating on a pond and the wood and, you know, the ice breaks yeah. and you and you, you I, know, I get that. Die I, of I, get the, I hope you I hope you hang, you know, hang from a tree and, and are raped by gorillas and burned to death type of ones it's um it's quite well, remarkable well what those are nice compared with. to the ones that i get but yeah. <laughs> without without trying to go tit for tat here right no, I no, i'm just I, saying it these people are sick they're very sick but i have a big enough cross-section to understand that let's say 60 percent are pro michael they're part of hashtag team cohen and the other 40 are we hope you die all right mm -hmm. by putting out a poll i will get a better idea of what's really going on in the eyes of America than these pollsters because they're calling the same people they already know who they're calling the determination of those polls are already predetermined before you even pick up the phone simply based upon the census of who you're going to be calling oh yeah I'm going to call a Republican who has voted Republican every single available election since 1972 all right and what am I? Th oh, yeah, they're going to definitely vote for Joe Biden. Come on. Let's right, be serious. We right. already know the outcome. So it's a bunch of horse shit. My position is this is all a play by media. This is a play by the pollsters in order to keep, to keep you horse race. and me yeah. engaged in this horse race. All right. Because yeah. they make so much money off of the advertising and keeping the eyeballs onto it. Oh, my God. Right now it's 46, 46. Uh, Biden and Trump in the general election. Let me turn around and said, says who? Let me also turn around <laughs> and say, bullshit. All right. And yeah, I think and these national polls, polls don't matter. I, I mean, people need to realize this that national polling really doesn't matter. We don't have a national election, and polls are only a snapshot in time. So you need to look at trends, first of all. Secondly, you know, you're absolutely right about the media's desire to have a horse race because they are stuck in their old ways. They are covering Trump and this election cycle the way they cover every other election cycle. That is a huge mistake. This is unlike anything we have ever seen. You would think that they would have learned their freaking lessons by now after 2016 and 2020. The old rules don't apply. They do not apply. And so... People need to understand that in the media, they have a responsibility here to be honest. They don't have a responsibility to cover both sides of a lie. And this is something that I, I say a lot of times when I'm on national television, I'm very critical of how the media is covering things. After you've spent 
you, you, you have three times more stories about Joe Biden's freaking age versus Donald Trump's criminality. You, what do you think is going to happen? People, when you ask a poll about, you know, well, how do you feel about Trump or Biden? People are going to go, well, yeah, Biden's too old. Um, yeah, I guess Trump. Mm-hmm. It shapes the national conversation. Yeah. yeah. So they need to cut the shit because people are not as invested in, in, in this every day the way we are. The average American does not pay that level of attention. Except the media will tell you their sole responsibility is to their shareholders. And this keeps their shareholders well, happy because they're pulling in the advertisement dollars. You know, you bring up a great you bring up a great point when you turn around. It's actually not three to one. It's four to one that they bring up Joe Biden's age versus Trump. I would love mm-hmm. to put out a national poll and say. How old is Donald Trump? How old is Donald Trump? How Mm -hmm. old is Joe Biden? Today, today, can you tell me how old he is? And so, and I bet you 90% of the people that you end up speaking to on the street that tell you, yeah, he's just too old. He's just too old. And we don't want Kamala Harris as as our president because he's going to die. You listen to these people that Joe Biden is destined to die in office and Kamala Harris will become, you know, president of the United States. Now, for what reason people dislike her? You know, she has that Hillary Clinton disease where they like her, but they don't even know why they don't like her. Maybe they don't like her because she's a female. They don't like her because she's black. They don't like her because she's married to a Jewish man. I'm telling you, I mean, there's maybe for some whole... people, but there's more. I mean, yes, those are some elements of it, but it's just overall that um, she's not she doesn't come across very authentic on things. And I think that's a that's a problem for a lot of people. She doesn't connect well with people. And um, and she really has been absent as vice president. Most people have no idea what she's been doing since she got there. And next that's, a, poll you know, that's question. a problem. OK, next poll question. Yeah. What is the vice, that's a different conversation. Next, next poll question. What does the vice president even do? Why don't you tell me what Joe Biden did as vice president when Barack Obama was president? Why don't you well, tell me? I can why don't tell you tell you. me what? Well, maybe. But maybe I you're one you out because he was the, one he out was of the liaison. Right. I know. But the average person doesn't know. I, I get your point. I mean, Joe Dick Biden Cheney was because do? he was. What did Dick Cheney well, do under under Bush? Right. The answer is a yeah, lot. But, you know why? Because Bush was incompetent. But we can go on about this all the time. My point is, people are just regurgitating the bullshit that they keep hearing. They're told. That's right. That's 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 true. That's true. I mean, you know, if you look at well, Dick Cheney was was secretary of defense at one point. And, you know, I mean, like and Joe Biden was a senator for decades and chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee. And he understood he was the liaison between Obama, who was a relative neophyte on Capitol Hill and the legislative branch. That's why they picked him. So he was in the middle of a lot of those legislative fights during the Obama administration. Kamala Harris does not have that same gravitas or level of experience. So it's been difficult for her Mm -hmm. to take on these jobs, these responsibilities with credibility. So she's had a challenge and it's a challenge and she is an albatross on the ticket, unfortunately, but that's um, a different political discussion. And, you know, she's going to be on the ticket no matter what I think as of right now. I mean, something extraordinary would have to happen. But the point that we're making here in this entire conversation is that people are very susceptible to the messaging that they hear repeatedly. And so if it's repeated over and over again that Biden's too old, Biden's too old and coming from his own party, which I'm just is the most frustrating part Mm -hmm. about this as a former Republican and a person who specializes in political messaging, I can tell you that Republicans have it down pat. 
You stay on message. It doesn't matter. They could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue. You mm -hmm. still support your candidate, right? You still right. stay on message. We've seen this to the detriment of the country, but the, but the point still remains. Democrats, forget it. You know, the one, you know, one little breeze blows and all of a sudden it's, oh my God, the whole house is going to blow down. It's, they have got to stop this. I said it on, on MSNBC a number of times this week. Repu you know, the Republicans are handing you a gift. That shit show of a debate shows you the chaos that the entire Republican Party is in. They're about to shut down the government over what? They cannot govern. These are not serious people. And yet Democrats are running around while Joe Biden is out here his, making history, marching on a picket yep. line with auto workers, while he has one of the best economies we've had in decades, <laughs> while he's created jobs, while he got us out of the pandemic, while he is not a laughingstock on the world stage, and he's not over here arguing over the cost of drapes in, a, in an embassy. But he's over here defending democracy. <laughs> you guys are bitching about his fucking age. Right. Stop it. How about like, stop this? How about Mike Pence is sitting there and he oh he was like excited. He got like a little woody, you know, thinking about, oh, I can use my I can use my zinger. I can use my zinger. Right. right? So all of a sudden right. it's like he should he shouldn't be on the picket line. He should be on the unemployment line. And he was waiting it, for cheers. He was waiting for an applause. None. And listen, right. you fucking jerk off. The only thing that you would that would get you to have an applause is if that fucking fly landed back on the top yeah. of your head. <laughs> <laughs> then, then we would have an applause, right? It did. Its, it stuck its landing, right? Oh, the fucking fly is back. That gigantic horse fly. <laughs> My husband said that exact same thing last night. He goes, where's the fly when you need it? <laughs> that's all I was thinking. I'm telling you, I like, I like your husband. Right? So let me ask you this for a second, Tara. Because you posed this cryptic tweet yesterday um, you know, from Mary Trump, who was mm -hmm. also celebrating Judge uh, Ngoron's ruling. And, mm -hmm. you know, Mary wrote... And it's I, funny, I, I, I wish I knew her. I wish I even spoke to her. She doesn't like me, you know, but it's okay. A lot, uh, a lot, a lot of people don't like me. But she yeah, wrote, she wrote okay. in this, I needed this today. And then you replied, those who know will know. So I'm curious if you let us know what Mary was alluding to in her post and what you were saying. Well, I don't know specifically what she was referring to. I had a sense of possibly what she was referring to because she has come out and admitted that she contributed to the New York Times story. A lot of the financials um, that the New York Times used, I think it was 2018 when they had that extraordinary expose about Trump's finances and his taxes and, and what you had talked about concerning his, the inflation and deflation of the values of his properties, depending on who he was talking to or what he was applying for. And um, and she played she admitted um, that she was able to obtain some of that information from the lawsuit she had against Trump concerning her father's will and mm -hmm. and all that horribleness that that Trump pulled when her dad died. So I I thought that it could possibly be related to just the frustration of how Trump has been able to get away with so much and that this was something that was personal for her. Uh, what she went through with her own family and her father's legacy and what Trump tried to do to her and her family. And finally, um, some hint of accountability. That's what I presumed, but I do not know specifically what it was. 
Understood. Because that, seem, that seemed to be that seemed to be consistent for me from what I knew. Right, because neither did I. I couldn't figure it out, and I was hoping to get an answer here. But can yeah, we just go? No. Can we go back to the debate last night? And I just want to ask you because again, it goes right back to the polling. They had a bunch of people that was sitting, you know, a focus group, so to speak. You know, who thought that? Um, Ramaswamy won because they believe that that idiot won the first debate. I didn't see it Ugh. that way. And then no, last night, most, the first well, last night, I believe that the focus group thought that Ron DeSantis won the evening. Really? You agree? Yeah. I, mean, I didn't that's, see that. that. Was the I, I, yeah. I, I didn't see that focus group, but uh, I'm surprised at that. I'm sure they thought DeSantis Nikki Haley was campaign. number two. Yeah, I thought Nikki again, I thought Nikki Haley, when she was able to to talk um, when she wasn't being shouted down by the obnoxious preening of some of the other people on that stage, um, you know, she did her best to try to stay assertive and, and to not get shouted down. And sometimes women can be criticized for that. But I think she's been rewarded because she's the only woman up there and you've got all these obnoxious men shouting her down nonsense and they look like the bullies. They look like idiots. Um, it doesn't take much, but, <laughs> but anyway, um, the fact that they, that DeSantis, uh, some folks thought that he won the debate, I guess would be a glimmer of hope for DeSantis's death spiral of the campaign. I mean, he slipped to fifth place in New Hampshire. He's not even bothering with New Hampshire. He's putting all his eggs in one basket in Iowa that has never worked by the way. Um, I don't know what makes him think that that's going to work this time, but he, um, he didn't do any harm, I guess. So, but he's just so awkward and yeah. arrogant, and he had that creepy smile thing it's, at the end of all yeah, of his what is, what is all of his that? answers. What is that? You know, he's he is a socially awkward guy. It looks like he is in pain when he's standing up there. He he cannot stand the retail politics of being a politician, and he really hasn't had this level of constituent interaction because when you run for governor of Florida, Florida is a huge state. And you have media, you know, media markets all over this or all over the yeah. state. You can't really you don't really do the retail politics that you do in a place like Iowa or New Hampshire. And we can see why he is not a likable person. And he just is so and he was and the reputation for him on Capitol Hill when he was a congressman was no different. I worked in Congress when he was up there as a, as a congressman and nobody liked him. He was the Ted Cruz of the House of Representatives like. Mm. People, he didn't really have any allies. He was always arrogant and, and sanctimonious. I mean, I, I, I've said this before. I give Trump credit or whoever came up with it, calling him Ron to sanctimonious because that's really who he is. He's constantly condescending people and whining and yelling at them. Um, nobody like nobody likes that. Nobody likes to be lectured to. I don't know. The so guy, the guy that, managed to win his, you know, his governor's race. Yeah, so well, whatever because it might it was be. Controlled. It was more controlled. And he who he was running against, he ran against Charlie Crist, who is a terrible candidate also. Yeah. So, I mean, he almost lost to Andrew Gillum. Let's be honest here. He only won by 40,000 votes in a huge state. That was very, very close. So, you know, DeSantis is being exposed again for um, the weirdo that he is on top of his policies, which are just terrible. But yeah, he's just so awkward. And people, he's cringe. He's just, it's just so cringe. And, and, and the relationship, it's cringe. So who was the big so who's the big winner and who's the big loser last night in your opinion? 
Because they, I, like I said, um, you know, they believe that um, Desnotnose was the big winner and the big <laughs> loser for the night. I think they had it as um, as Vivek uh, Ramaswamy. Mm. They thought that he, they thought that his performance was absolutely um, atrocious, appalling. They thought that yeah. when he got beaten down by Nikki Haley uh, over, you know, some of the comments that, you know, that he made, um, that basically she knocked him into the big loser for the evening. Yeah, well, I, I as, a, as you were talking, I just thought about why some folks thought DeSantis probably was the winner, because he took on Trump directly for the first time. Mm-hmm. He had a couple direct to camera, you know, Trump going after Trump that we didn't see the first time around. So his consultants or whatever focus groups that they that his campaign watched about the first debate and about the complaints concerning his campaign, he took notes from that and decided, well, fuck it. At this point, I don't have anything else to lose. Let me go after Trump. And I think people wanted to see some of that, whoever was in these these focus groups. So that could be why. He also just as an aside, he also gave the Biden campaign uh, a really good rapid response ad when he said that Donald Trump should be here to explain the well, that deficit was really, number. That was really inflation. Chris Christie. He just parroted Chris, Chris Christie. I mean, Chris Christie, yes, Chris Christie did it too, but he's not getting the the, the play right. that DeSantis is getting for it, unfortunately, because right. I said that to myself. I'm like, why is DeSantis's one-liner about this getting the most play? Chris Christie said it first, but that's because people have been waiting for DeSantis to take on Trump. They mm-hmm. already know that's what Chris Christie's brand is. Right. But the Biden campaign was smart and turned those comments around to say, yeah, thanks, because it basically took, it put the blame on the high inflation that is now down, by the way, um, and 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 those in the deficit issues on Trump. So that was a smart play by the Biden administration, which leads me to say that I think Joe Biden was the winner last night. You know, p- people watching this again, they they see the contrast between the way the Democrats and the way the Biden campaign is handling itself. And it gives them the opportunity to set the narrative. They need to be more aggressive, in my opinion. But Joe Biden didn't incite a violent insurrection. Joe Biden did not, um, you know, Joe Joe Biden did not. Let me say say this again. Joe Biden (laughs) is not under, you know, indictment four times with 91 criminal counts. Joe Biden hasn't taken several mug shots. Joe Biden doesn't have to worry about his campaign schedule in between court appearances. Joe Biden doesn't have to explain away his um, sexual, uh, you know, civil convictions of of sexual harassment or rape or uh, assault the way Trump has has to. I mean, that's Joe Biden isn't arguing over drapes. He's protecting democracy. Yeah. Like Joe Biden's not a laughing stock on the international stage, unlike President uh, President Trump was when he was tr- president. The, these are the contrasts that need to be hammered home. And you look at the way that the Republicans, what they're arguing about, the performative bullshit, the fact that they act like children, they're not governing. You got Matt Gates and and Kevin McCarthy arguing over social media quips. Yeah. While, meanwhile, the, the government's barreling toward being shut down and hurting average Americans. I mean, you know, Joe Biden is is supporting blue collar Americans. He's not swindling them the way Trump is and has. So like, this is why I think Joe Biden is the winner here because he is the, the adult in the room. 
He's actually acting like a president. And this gives them the opening to make that contrast. And for the love of God, they need to be more aggressive with it and own it. Own it. Yeah, it's, an, it's enough already allowing the Republicans to keep attacking Joe Biden because he decided to go and to stand on a picket line so that people can get paid a fair and decent right. wage so that they could support their families uh, without having to take two, three jobs in order to do so. While the CEOs, I think, combined made what? 300 times the amount of the average worker per person. I mean, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, ab- it's abominable. But let me move on because I want you brought up the whole criminal um, scenario that Trump is now facing the four uh, indictments, 91 charges, 91 counts. So, what impact, if any, do you believe that Trump's upcoming criminal trials will have on his performance during the primary? Right? So, is, or do you think that his nomination is already a foregone conclusion? Um, I mean, do you think that it'll get more vulnerable as the trials commence, that there's possibly somebody, maybe hopefully somebody that's not on that stage, like an Asa Hutchinson, for example, right? You know, somebody or like a, uh, uh, a, a Kasich, you know, somebody who can step up, who's more centrist and would be able to help to destroy this crazy divisiveness that Trump has, you know, created now in America? Or do you just think it's a foregone conclusion that he's got it no matter what? It is a foregone conclusion. It doesn't make a damn bit of difference what happens here. Short of, you know, nature taking Trump off this earth, it is not going to matter. Um as much as I love uh, John Kasich, and he's the last Republican presidential candidate I ever voted for back in 2016, um, and I think he would have been a great president, the Republican primary voters have no appetite for a traditional Republican. The The irony of the Ronald Reagan library being being the location here for being the location here for this for that debate it was struck me because I said Ronald Reagan wouldn't be welcome in today's Republican Party. He wouldn't have qualified for that debate. And that goes to show you where the Republican Party is today. And at the Lincoln Project, we have been saying this for quite some time um, that Donald Trump, as soon as he decided he was running, the party was fully with him. He will be the nominee. And any opportunity to take him out would require consolidation behind one candidate. Mm -hmm. And I don't know who that candidate would be. Because none of them have dem- have demonstrated that they have the political will, the courage or charisma to take out Donald Trump. So, folks, it's going to be Trump and Biden. And we need to be prepared for that. So can I ask you this question then? Do you think that Trump will choose his running mate from that crop of seven candidates? Or do you think that he's going to go with someone Somebody else like Marjorie Toilet Green or go even crazier, go with Robert Kennedy Jr. What do you think? Oh, no, 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 no. Listen, if this were 2016 or 2020, when Trump was still surrounded by um, less seasoned political operatives, I would say maybe. But this time around, to Trump's credit, he is surrounded by very seasoned, smart political operatives like Chris Lasavita and Susie Wiles. They have so far been pretty smart in their strategic decisions concerning his campaign, and Trump has seemingly gone along with it. Now, they can't control what comes out of his mouth, but they can control where he goes, the venues, 
and some of those, um, you know, other parts of campaigning. I, I don't see him picking anyone on that stage. And it, it would be only because, the, I mean, people are talking about Tim Scott and all this. No, no. Okay. Tim Scott doesn't have it. He's a caricature also. Nikki Haley, maybe, but Trump doesn't want to be overshadowed. And mm-hmm. she would lose all credibility, in my opinion, if she went back again to Trump again. Yep. Like, come on, honey, you yep. bad enough the first time. Like, you're the biggest flip flopper ever. So I don't see that. And, and no one else on that stage would would ever be, bring be an asset to Trump. I He needs to pick someone that will not overshadow him. That will be another Mike Pence type of person that will just do his bidding. Yeah. And um, I don't see anyone on the on the current stage in the current crop being in, in the running for that. So let me ask you this then, because in a recent Vox article, they discussed how much difficulty the mainstream press has in trying to cover Donald Trump. And in this article, Vox asserts that because of Trump's undeniable authoritarian tendencies have put the mainstream press in a difficult position. Either it describes him accurately and sounds like a partisan rag, or else it deceptively treats Trump and the Republican Party he controls as essentially normal. Too often, they make the latter choice, acting like an amnesiac or an abusive household committed to keeping up appearances, losing itself in the old routines, all right in an effortful approximation of normality until it almost forgets what it doesn't want to know. They write that the GOP debates fit that tendency to a T. It described it yes. perfectly. All right. And yes. I quote here, we are all pretending that this is something like what we've seen in the past, a normal event held by a normal party when it's actually a pageant masking the true nature of the Trump enthralled GOP, a political vehicle for a strong man whose second term would represent an existential threat to American democracy. Do me a big favor, Tara, because only you could probably answer this in the colorful manner that I'm looking for. Discuss this with me. How strange is it to watch the GOP play act this way? (laughs) You know, in in our final moments here, Michael, I'm going to say this. None of this is normal. And part of the biggest threat besides Trump himself and Trumpism, it has been the normalization of what he is doing and what he has done to this country. He has told us and shown us who he is, that he does not respect our constitution or our democratic way of life in this country. And he has brought along millions of other people convincing them that democracy doesn't matter. Trumpism does their grievances and their vengeance and using him as their vehicle and vessel for retribution. That's what matters. We need to, those of us who are in positions that have platforms and who have influence, we need to make sure that the American voter understands that once you lose your democracy, you're not getting it back. And that democracy is on the ballot and trying to treat this election and this campaign and the Republican Party as somehow just a, a normal opposition party like we've always had for the you know 150 years and it's just a difference of, a, of opinion on policy. No, that is not the case. 
And we are anyone who does treat them like that is doing a disservice not only to the American voter, but to the future of our democracy in this country. So uh, it's really important that we never allow the normalization of this absolute insanity that is going on on the Republican side. And we do everything we can to beat that back if we want to maintain a constitutional republic. Yeah. And yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up because I've been yelling this from the rooftop for a long, long time now. And it's getting it's getting some attention, but far from the attention that it deserves. Well, the good news is and well, the good news is that at the Lincoln Project, we focus on this a lot. And the president of the United States, Joe Biden, is continuing to give speeches about the importance of protecting our democracy. Um, And I, I think they get it. And that's really, really important. We do, we do need to trust what Donald says. And the problem is we just ignore it. Listen to what he's saying, what you just brought up. The first mm-hmm. thing he's going to do if he becomes president again, he wants to rewrite the Constitution. And what does this yes. moron want to do? Probably in crayon on the back of top secret documents. He wants to rid our country of the tripartite system of checks and balances, mm-hmm. get rid of the judiciary, get rid, rid of the legislative branch, put all the power in the hands of the executive branch, which in essence makes him. The king, dictator. the dictator, That's the right. Fuhrer, whatever. That's right. Then he's already said, I am your retribution. I want people to understand something. And unfortunately, it does get lost here. That revenge, something that my book, right? How Donald Trump weaponized mm-hmm. the United States Department of Justice against his critics. I'm telling you what he'll do. He will go after every single person that he feels slighted by. By the way, members of the Supreme Court. Better be careful, because if all the power lies in the hands of the executive, him, the Fuhrer, the king, the monarch, the dictator, he could do whatever he wants. He'll start tagging and begging people, sending them, shipping them off to Guantanamo. It'll be just like (laughs) Russia sending people off to gulags, judges, members of Congress. That's why people better wake the fuck up. And they need to wake up right now. I I, I don't disagree. And that should be the the, the name of your next book. Michael. <laughs> you got it. Tara, as always, thank you, my darling. Appreciate you. You're the best. Um, let's stay in touch because we still have a lot more work to do. I, I so appreciate you. Absolutely. I appreciate not only you when you come on Mayor Cole, but also our private you know, conversations. I thank you for your friendship and for all the hard work that you guys at Lincoln Project do to save our democracy. So thank you for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my pleasure, my friend. And uh, let's let's keep up this fight. We've uh, we've got we do have a lot of work to do. But collectively, I think the righteous anger of the American people, we can make a difference. And so we will. Thank Tara, you, Thank you, pal. And now for today's mea culpa. Judge Angoran's ruling represents a journey for me that began when I sat before Congress almost five years ago and warned not only of Donald Trump's fascist tendencies, but the fact that he had orchestrated a decades-long fraud inflating and deflating the value of his businesses at a whim. For what? Well, all in order to obtain loans and to save on taxes. Despite his best attempts to silence me, I have come through the other side of this journey wiser, humbler, and much more determined than ever to right the wrongs perpetrated by Trump and his MAGA agenda. Now I say time and time again that the wheels of justice turn slowly, but they nevertheless turn full circle. 
With this ruling, Judge Angoran has effectively taken Donald Trump's balls and put them in a jar. Bankruptcy, liquidation, loss of power and influence. I mean, my friends, it's all over. The game is all over for Trump. It's just a matter of time before, again, the wheel comes full circle. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. This is my-